Here is where we all need to be careful because this does involve God's judgment. The most important thing to God is our intention, the reason for why we do things. Why is the most important thing to God. Why we do things is actually more important than what we are doing. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. In today's message, we'll be talking about knowing when we are doing the Lord's will. It can be sometimes confusing to know if, in fact, we are doing the Lord's will or not. But it's not because God intends it to be difficult to understand or elusive. It's usually hard to grasp because something is wrong or unclear in our own lives. We need to make sure we are aligned with the Lord by being open and sensitive to His promptings through the Holy Spirit by aligning with His Word. We cannot let ourselves be guided by the flesh. Today's message is inspired on the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Mighty God, blessing and honor and glory be to you, O Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord, for who you are and what you do. Heavenly Father, for there is no one that can do the things that you can. Lord God, we give you thanks for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, for all the things that, Lord God, you have bestowed through your Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you because your mercy is everlasting. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me, O Lord, for the sins that I know and for the sins that are yet unclear to me, Lord God. Please, O Lord, have mercy. I pray, O Lord, Heavenly Father, that you help us, O Lord, to be able to have sensitive hearts, to be able to have open minds, Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us to desire to want to be aligned with you, to desire to do your will, Lord God, to understand that your will is in fact the best for our lives. Lord God, speak to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Today's key passage is from the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. This is the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. We had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we, who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. 
And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. One question that we can generate from reading this passage is, how do we know when we are in fact doing the Lord's will? I can honestly say from my part that it can be tricky, not because it is something difficult, but rather because of factors that ultimately involve our own sinfulness. God's will should be quite easy to understand because we're given incredible aids, if you will, such as the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures. We have God's complete counsel to mankind through His Word. And so it is not a God problem that as well can be difficult to perceive sometimes, but most of the time it is a problem that we have within ourselves. It's really an us problem. And we can understand that way because the Lord himself said that it is necessary for us to be like children to enter the kingdom of God. Children, no matter how smart or even prodigious they can be, are still children. So it is not necessarily something that needs high intellect or learning. Children are very limited in what they know because, again, they are in the early stages of the learning process. And so it should be plain to see that following the Lord should really be easy. So again, why does it seem so complicated? Let's start where it should all begin, with our relationship with the Lord. According to the Bible, we need to be born again, not only to be able to see the kingdom of God, but also to be able to enter the kingdom of God. And entering the kingdom of God starts here on earth when we make a decision to follow Christ. We cannot do God's will on our own. We need divine inhabitants in our lives. God needs to live inside our hearts so that we're able to do His will. And in order for that to happen, we must start at zero. That is where complete repentance and conversion comes in. And this is the way that salvation or being born again occurs. We have to hit the reset button, if you will, in our lives and quite honestly do something that is difficult which is unlearn and let go of everything we have built in our lives. If your life was not built up in the Lord, under the Lord's supervision, it is then necessary to start over because whether you understand it or not, or probably more difficult, if you want to accept it or not, everything that was done before the Lord or without the Lord will not work in the Lord. I'll give you an example that some of you techie folks may understand. I bought an iPad mini tablet a few weeks ago. I bought this little piece of hardware. Something appears to have happened in the setup that was affecting upload of apps and it was not backing up right. I called Apple and was able to get a tech online and we troubleshooted to see if the problem could be solved easily to avoid the dreaded reset. After about an hour, she said, we're going to have to reset because nothing that we're doing is fixing the problem. I was concerned because of the amount of time that it would take. And I was also concerned because she said that if the reset didn't work, then the tablet would have to be taken in for physical repairs and a replacement. And so we had an alternative. We had to do the reset, so we did it and we started from scratch. And the unit went back to the same state when I first got it through the mail. After it went through its process and setups again, it was able to work as designed. 
I breathed a sigh of relief because I was now able to get the apps that I needed in order to use a tablet for precisely the reasons I bought it to begin with. I couldn't even get a calculator app to upload, and I really needed a calculator for work, for my finances, etc. If I had left my tablet with its glitch, it would not be doing what it is capable of doing now. It would have been incomplete. This is exactly why we need to do this complete reset in our lives by completely repenting and converting from all of our sins because sin, no matter how small or insignificant we think it may be, it will make our lives glitchy and incapable of doing what we are meant to do, what we were created for. And that's why this whole born-again process thing is essential for salvation because it is the way we initiate our relationship with the Lord. We need to also keep in mind who we are approaching when we come to the Lord. It is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who was and is and is to come, the almighty God of the universe. We need to come ready to learn from him. And when we come to learn from this incredible being, we can't come with an attitude of, I know what I'm doing or let me do what I want to do. That's why it is imperative, it is necessary to start from zero with him, to come completely open and surrendered so that we can be ready to listen, to understand, to learn, and most of all, to obey. There can be no pride before him. After all, who wants to deal with a know-it-all? I have had to teach at work, at universities, and as a part of my ministry over the years, and it is very hard to deal with folks who do not come ready to listen or with someone that thinks that they know it all or that they think that they know more than you do. There have been even times when I've wanted to kick people out because of their attitude, because they screw up the learning process not only for themselves, but also for others. When we come to the master of the universe, we should come ready with the complete notion that we really know nothing, especially if we compare ourselves to him. If we look at this from a very objective point of view, Repentance and conversion are very practical things that need to happen so that we are able to become and do what we were made and meant to do. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ladies and gentlemen, we were created by the Lord for good works. God has a purpose for every single person. And so it is imperative for us to make ourselves ready for that purpose. We didn't create ourselves. God created us. God made us. God designed us. Therefore, who better to learn from? Here is another very important aspect that is required for salvation, for this born-again process. Have we truly surrendered our lives to Him, to His Lordship? Why is this important to not just understand, but also to fulfill in our lives? There is a huge difference between accepting Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Jesus is our Savior. There's no doubting that. And we do have to accept Him as that. But according to the Bible, the condition that does need to be met in order for salvation to occur is that we need to accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And it can't be just entitled. It has to be a literal reality. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you see, we need to confess the Lord Jesus or accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives. There's a big difference between the concepts of Lord and Savior. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are accepting a service. 
Salvation is a service for us. And of course, the greatest service anyone could ever do for us because it involves the greatest sacrifice in all of history. God dying for all mankind so that our hell-bound destiny could be broken. It was truly a miracle that took place, one that only God could make possible. But when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives, that does not involve him rendering a service to us, but rather us serving him. Lord means exactly that, that he is Lord, that he is the one that is directing, that his will needs to be done, that we owe him submission and obedience. And when we accept him as Lord, then that means that he is the one in charge and not us. If we do not let Jesus be our literal and real Lord, then we are lost. There can be no salvation because he needs to lead in order for us to have eternal life. That is why he said this reality. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. There is only one truth. And what eternal life can only be found through Jesus Christ. And of course, he is the gatekeeper between God and man, for it is also written, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. This is why he needs to be the literal Lord of our lives. We can never know the way on our own or by our own intellect or get there on our own ways. It is just not feasible. It is not possible. And so, this is also something very practical that needs to happen. Otherwise, you will always be on the wrong path, no matter how good it looks to you. Why make such a big emphasis on this lordship issue? Because many so-called believers struggle with this concept and have a tough time accepting the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. Most people just want to do what they want to do. And what's worse, they try to turn God into their servant, into their slave. Many people believe that God is there to do what they need them to do, like some sort of genie that should be there at their beck and call. That's where we have these corrupt doctrines where they teach you and that you need to use faith to get what you want. And if you don't get what you want, then something must be wrong with your faith. At least that's what they teach you. There are these other doctrines like the name it and claim it doctrine, where if you have enough faith and you name it, then it should happen. And of course, there are these health and wealth doctrines also where they teach you to focus on earthly things and to ultimately put God to work for you. It is also a problem when we use prayer mainly for our own wants and desires. God is loving and caring and does want to help us with true needs, not whims. But we can never lose sight of the fact that we need to serve Him. We need to be more focused on His will, on His purpose. James chapter 4 tells us this, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Proverbs 14, 12 also says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is the problem when we look to do our own will, to fulfill our own desires. Our lives will be completely out of bounds or misaligned when it comes to doing the Lord's will. And no matter how right we think we are or how good things seem to us, if you are not looking to fulfill God's will in your life, 
you could be walking yourself directly into a death trap. And I would think that this is not a risk anyone wants. And this leads us to our next point. What is actually directing your life? This is what ultimately determines whether you are doing the Lord's will or your own will. The Bible teaches us this very simple principle in Galatians chapter 6 where it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is what we must keep in mind, whether we are serving the flesh or serving the spirit. If we sow to the flesh, then corruption will be generated. And if we sow to the spirit, then everlasting life will be generated. These are irrefutable laws written and explained in the word of God. In other words, this is just the way reality works. God doesn't need to do anything special in this regard, that if you focus on doing what is according to the flesh, that he needs to punish you. He doesn't need to exercise or exert any kind of power really for this. And this is what many people fail to understand. When we seek after the flesh, when we succumb to the sin in our lives, corruption is just a natural consequence, no matter what people want to believe or accept. It's a cause and effect law. Just like if you put your hand in the fire, you are going to get burned and it's going to hurt and do some serious damage depending on how long you leave it there. This is just general facts of life. And so, what dictates whether you are serving the flesh versus the spirit? The intent of your heart. Where is your heart? What is the intent of your heart? Jeremiah chapter 17 also says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Here is where we all need to be careful because this does involve God's judgment. The most important thing to God is our intention, the reason for why we do things. Why is the most important thing to God? Why we do things is actually more important than what we are doing. How do we know this? Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How can this be? How can the Lord say that he never knew people that did such things? How can he say that they are practicing lawlessness when they are prophesying or preaching or casting out demons or even wonders and miracles? How can that be? And the answer lies very simply on the why. Why are they doing these things? What is the intent of their heart? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a chapter that is used a lot but in completely wrong ways many times says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What kind of love is being talked about here? It's not only a feeling, but rather an intent, the reason for why things are being done. 
Some may erroneously say that the reason why things are being done wrong here is because they are doing things not because they love people, but rather because they're looking for their own glory. And there is some truth to that, but that is not entirely accurate. This is the love that is being talked about here, and the way that the Father's will is fulfilled. Jesus said this, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Everything should start with us loving the Lord. Before loving your neighbor, you need to learn to love God first. And as a result of that love for God is that then you should love your neighbor. This is what should happen. And this is God's will that everything that I do should put God in first place. The reason for why I do everything, do everything as to the Lord. Colossians chapter three says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. This is how things should work. If I look to love and serve my neighbor, it's because I want to love and please my Lord. If I look to love and take care of my family, it's because God wants me to do this. If I work the job that I do, it's because that is what God wants me to do. The Lord should be the reason, the generator for every action that comes out of our lives. Then, and only then, is that we are then doing the Lord's will. Now, does doing God's will mean everything will go fine from a human perspective? The answer is no. Doing the right thing does not mean that this life will be great and everything will be fantastic and fun. That's another error that many people believe. Many think that God's ways here on earth will produce all kinds of things that we like here on earth and that life will be tremendous from a human perspective. Quite honestly, that is not the case. Maybe certain things may turn out that way, but it all depends on the bigger picture of what God is looking to accomplish. The Lord is always thinking about the bigger picture. Nothing in God is short-sighted. He is masterful in everything he does. We see this in Paul's life in the key passage we read at the beginning. Did Paul make a mistake? And should he have taken heed to the warnings he was given? Was it God's will for Paul to die the way he did? If we understand where Paul's heart was, which is very plain to see in everything he did and wrote, the answer would be yes. Paul did what he was supposed to do. He was just being prepared for the moment when they were telling him what would happen, very similar to Christ. Jesus was not surprised by the dreadful events that happened to him, just like there was no surprise for Paul either. Paul did God's will, even though what he endured went completely against his human comfort and well-being. That's the big challenge, denying of self, and that's what hardly anyone likes. Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith tells us this, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, 
women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, and they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So you see, some did not see the fantastic life that many false teachers and preachers talk about. That's why we need to see what we are being told in the Word of God through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We simply cannot be lazy or just go along with something that sounds nice and appealing to us. This is why we need to understand what in fact it's God's will, and that is something we cannot take lightly. Why would we want God's will for our lives? God's thoughts are greater than ours. When we do what He wants us to do, whatever we do, whether it looks small or great right now, impacts not only the here and now, but all eternity. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just look at Paul's example. Paul lived about 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about him today and reading many things that he wrote from a prison. And now, from a personal standpoint, why should we want to do God's will? We already read this before, Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. If we don't do the Father's will, we simply will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is as simple as that. That is why it is so imperative and critical to get it right, to make sure we are in fact doing the Lord's will as we see it through His word, through His instruction. Doing God's true will should be the most important thing in our lives. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Holy God, help us to understand, O oh Lord, that we truly need to not just believe in You, but follow You with all of our hearts. That we must look to do what You want us to do, what Your desire is, Lord God, because that is the way that we can have eternal life. It doesn't happen any other way. It's not just about asking for forgiveness. It's not just about saying that we believe in you and accept Jesus as our Savior. Lord God, it, it, it's about greater things. It's about action. It's about submission. It's about obedience. It's about looking for 
for what your purpose is, what your desire is, Lord God, and to be able to do your will here on earth while we still live and breathe before we come to that time where we're going to have to answer for everything that we have done. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that there is a day, there is a time that will come that we will need to give an account, that we will need to stand before you. And Lord God, that we will be held responsible for the things that we did and for the things we didn't do. Heavenly Father, help us to be mindful of that, Lord God. Help us not to take your grace for granted. Help us, O Lord, to be able to live out the purpose that you have for each and every one of our lives, Heavenly Father. Help us to understand that your will and that your purpose is what's best for us and for everyone around us, Lord. Because if it wasn't for your will, if it wasn't for Jesus to die on the cross, if it wasn't for your plan being accomplished, we would not have the hope of salvation. We would not have eternity to look forward to, but rather we would be going to a destiny that is filled with hellfire and eternity without you, Lord God. Help us to understand that, Lord God. Help us, O oh Lord, to be a part of what you want to do. I give you thanks and I praise you, O oh Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy, and because you want to make us a part of that. You want to make us a part of your work and you want to make us a part of your kingdom for all eternity. I give you thanks and I praise you, O oh God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.